and welcome to episode two of the Kia Koshpin Basketball Podcast. I am your host, Kia Koshpin, and the special guest for today is Eli, also known as Whole Lot of Nerds on Twitter. What's up? What does he do? <laughs> Nothing much, man. How are you? Uh, I'm doing good today. Uh, how are you? I'm pretty good, but... Uh, and this is our fifth time recording this, so there are some technical <laughs> difficulties. We've already gone through this, but the Wizards lost today to go to the to a five and two record. Uh, we're recording on November first on a Monday, so yeah, that's bumming me out a little bit, but eh, <laughs> still five and two. Still five and two. Uh, that's that's better than five and fifteen. Yeah, that's that pretty much what it was last season. Yeah, five and fifteen at one point last season, and already off to a five and two start. It's kind of what happens when you add NBA level players instead of surrounding two all stars with the <laughs> surrounding <laughs> two all stars with with G leaguers and but getting yeah, rid of the worst coach in the league. That is also a plus. Yeah. Although Luke Walton might have something to say about that. I don't know. I have a friend who's a Kings fan, and we get into this back and forth like three times a week. I don't think anyone will ever be able to convince me that someone is worse than Scott Brooks, but I feel for Kings fans. Yeah, uh, as a Russell Westbrook supporter, it's very hard for me to uh, to argue the, util- the utility of Scott Brooks. He seems like a nice guy, though. I don't Yeah, yeah. The players all liked him. He seems like a nice guy. Just very frustrating. But anyways, um, yeah, do you have any thoughts on the season so far? Like, getting right into it. Any teams or players that have stood out to you? Uh, A couple teams. A couple teams. I'm really intrigued. And this is horrible timing because they they just lost to they just lost to the Magic, <laughs> but I'm really intrigued with what the Timberwolves are doing. I'm also very high on what the Jazz are doing. Shocker, a uh, <laughs> person with nerds in his name likes the Jazz, uh, and from a player perspective, players that I'm really interesting so far. Uh, more so like potential players. I'm really liking what Evan Mobley is doing, of course. Of course. I'm really liking Jaden McDaniels, but I'm also liking Cole Anthony. I was planning and, on him later in this podcast. We'll definitely talk yeah. about him. Yeah, he's been, he's been sensational. Yeah, I have his stats uh, pulled up on my computer right now just <laughs> to prepare for later. <laughs> yeah, but I think – I don't know if that's the that's the entire list. But I think that that's – yeah, that's th- – th- those are the big three, I think. Those are like the – yeah. Mobley, Daniels, McDaniels, and – and Anthony, I'm I'm very intrigued with the what they've shown, and yeah. also, also I almost forgot Darius Garland. 
Mm. Fine. Uh, he he's, he's consistently he's consistently flown under the radar, but always Darius Garland has been extremely, extremely, extremely interesting as a playmaker, at least. Um, with the addition of Evan Mobley, I like some of like his uh, I like some of his laydown reads. I think he's like he's hit the dunker spot extremely effectively. I remember him being like within the top 10 percentile in uh, uh, layup assist relative to league average last season. And they went out and they surrounded him with uh, lob threats. They went out and they surrounded, you know, these big guys that can catch a lob and throw it down in Mobley and uh, Allen. And I think that his playmaking metrics are going to – they're going to – They're going to be pretty good. Yeah, I think they're. I think they're going to be pretty good. He was. He was already, you know, very, very good passer, very solid skip passer, uh, very solid pick and roll operator. He has one of the tightest handles in the entire league. Yeah, and his jump shooting is really, really, really good. I believe it was above thirty-seven percent on pull-up J's. So yeah, very intriguing that level player. You know. Darius Garland. Yeah, when he was coming into the league, uh, I wasn't the highest on him because I was like small score first guard. I I wasn't really sure what to think of him as a playmaker. I didn't like his defense. But wow, last season he proved me wrong because his playmaking is fantastic, and he's just he's just such a clean player to watch. Like like you said, the tight handle, the pull up J. Nice. His passes aren't extremely flashy, but they're just clean passes. And now you have who I think is a generational talent in Evan Mobley with him. You have all these play finishers. Uh, his scoring's been underwhelming to start the season, but he Who hasn't though. Yeah, every that's actually. I'm glad you mentioned that because I feel like no one except for. I don't know, Kevin Durant is really scoring to the level we expect them to. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if it's as much the rule changes as it is uh, as it is part of it is rest, right? But we don't see these early season results every year. Like last season, the league average true shooting percentage six games into the season was was unheard of it was insane so far this season we're we're creeping really close to like the dead ball era type yeah it's 54.5 that's the league average true shooting that is that is like that's like oscar robertson (laughs) career true shooting percentage (laughs) that's that come on like that's that's not very good to be fair, and, Oscar Robertson was insanely efficient for his era. But yeah, I, I yeah. feel you on that. That's actually wow. That's uh, Oscar Robertson's career was fifty six point five. Jesus Christ, that but is number actually, one. That, that's a testament <laughs> on him because that's like what plus ten, and that's yeah. Also, he was he was getting like plus ten for many seasons. Yeah, I think. Yeah, like around those levels, almost plus 10. But yeah. 
yeah, why do you think people are scoring inefficiently right now, other than just Russ? Uh, a combination of three things, right? As you mentioned, Russ. Uh, number two, the fans, and <clears throat> not like the environment that we got like towards the end of last season, where it's like half full. There's now like full fans and players yeah. haven't played in that in like a in like a full calendar year or, or almost two full calendar years. It'll be coming up on in like March, and mm. the third being muscle memory, right? Uh, just like players are to doing things, right? Like everything and everything that a player does is based in some sort of repetition, right? So yeah. the Trey Youngs of the world, the James Hardens of the world, the Devin Bookers of the world, they are looking for these little advantages that they that they've crafted in their game. And yeah. they're, they're they're smart they're smart little advantages, right? I don't I don't blame them for taking them. But they're looking for these advantages that they've crafted in their game and they've been planning in their game in the last three years and you know, three free throws or two free throws or or and one uh, or you know something where there should have been nothing, it's it, it's a it's an air ball or, or, or worse, it's an offensive foul and it's a turnover. Uh, league average turnovers are up by almost three. No, it's two. It's league average turnovers are up by two. League average three point shooting is down by percent, which is like the equivalent of a uh, the downgrade and points per 100 possessions that you would get with you know the decrease from 36.7 percent from three which was league average last year to 34 percent is the equivalent of like a negative 2.9 points per 100 possessions at the volume that has been taken right now the golden state warriors were they were the fifth ranked defense last season right they were negative 2.2 relative defense so like (laughs) just just changes in shooting percentages alone have presented the same the same production shift as like a top 10 defense and that's without accounting for you know the it's not a big light increase in free throw rate a free throw percentage is down it's just all around offensively like not been the best environment I don't think and I think that it comes down to a combination of rust a combination of the fans being there and players not necessarily being used to that, and a combination of like muscle memory because of this is how cognitive heavy the sport of basketball is. I, I think it's almost like it's it's not intent like the the James Harden play uh, where he had hook bam and everyone was passing that along the Twitter sphere. It's part of that. Ha- at no burst. Oh, uh, yeah. No, yeah. no one wants to talk about that. But the other part is, bro, he's been doing this for five years. That's that, that's free throws. And and yeah. it's not. Oh yeah, let me let me put my hand right there. It's it, it just happens. He 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 didn't think about that. 
That's not something. Yeah, it's like unconscious not, at this point. It's completely it's unconscious. And it, it's like that for almost every player in the league. Like every player, even if you want to say, you know, Steph Curry's of the world or the, or the, you know, the players who don't necessarily produce enough rim pressure to like get these crazy free throws, even there, they still attempt to create, you know, advantages and high leverage situations between them and the ref by doing the little, you know, the little lean into play or, or, or get them, get them jumping, leaning into them or the little, you know, they're trapped behind you just stop and throw the ball up. They're, they're, they're used to that. Right. And when there's possessions that they do not even what they're thinking about, not even what they think is good, what they know is good, what their brain knows is good, what their, what their body knows is good and, and hunts for their, getting results that they wouldn't get just a couple months ago, right? Yeah. And and there's a adjustment period that's needed. But I do think that I do think that will creep up because there is Oh uh, yeah, for sure. There is six defenses currently. This is before this is before the little mob fest that the Timberwolves and the Bulls had. But there were six defenses before today that had a sub 100 defensive rating. Do you want to know how many teams had a sub-100 defensive rating from 2004 to 2021? Um, I'm going to guess five. Like, the Pistons probably did it. You're, 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 you're on the dot. It's five. It's five total. There have been more in the first six games of this season than there were in the previous 16 years of basketball. You have to go back to... <laughs> 2012 to see the last year that two teams had sub 100 defensive ratings like this is these aren't normal results at all we're not in a normal normal age and and one thing that points to that being the case is that the the distribution between you know the highest uh the highest offensive rating and the lowest defensive rating is the highest that it's ever been which implies that one of those results is not like the other, and it's more likely that that's the defensive rating because uh, just the the offensive tendencies of the league currently. I, I I don't think that they'll, I don't think that they lean enough defensively, or they lean enough towards like inefficient shot attempts, to where even if there's you know rule changes that 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 offenses should just be this bad or I should say defenses should be this good. Yeah, let me get a little positive. <laughs> but yeah, that's th- that is my thoughts on it. That was kind of ranty, but no, that, that's good. That's what the podcast is for. Um <laughs> on one of those points about the muscle memory and you know all that, I think there is a bit of an overcorrection from the refs. Everyone's seen the clips where the offensive player is just getting, like, throttled. You know, like, they're completely tangled up and nothing's called. Um, because people have been pretty annoyed for a few years now with how easily it seemed fouls were being called. So the refs are definitely trying extra hard to not make that the case. 
And I think they'll kind of revert, kind of find a happy medium there. But, yeah, I do agree with you. I don't think it's going to stay like this for – like, I think offenses will get better. Players will kind of get back to where they were. And defenses are also probably not going to stay this good. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I think that that's the most logical conclusion. Yeah, I think that I think that the, I think that the illogical conclusion is the no free throw, hard and bad. Like, yeah, it, it, it's very it's very dumb, dumb, digestible. I think that that's that's not mm-hmm. the that's just the bad take. I, I don't know how else to put it. Yeah, like I definitely I, I agree with you on that for sure. Are there any other trends you've noticed so far this season? Because I do think I feel like I've been watching very different basketball this year than I've been watching for the past few years. Is there anything else you've noticed that kind of gives it that feel? Hmm. That's an interesting question. I think that the the offensive drop-off that we described was probably like, when I was skimming through data, just like the first six games, it's probably the biggest... Uh, it's probably like the biggest thing that that I saw, and it was the once you see it, like uh, once you see the biggest disparity, and I forgot to mention this, but uh, this is the worst three point percentage that the league has seen since the turn of the century. Yeah. That's a small little data point. It'll it'll definitely go up. I don't I, I just felt like saying that because that's a cool little stat, like. <laughs> Yeah, twenty two years worth of twenty two years worth of data, and this is like, hey, right? It's the it's the worst of the twenty first century, right after the best in league history. Like it, it, it just it's hard to wrap your brain around. So when you see that, you get kind of closed on that. But another trend, hmm, something something I've noticed is. I'm not, I haven't looked into the data about this, so maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but it definitely feels to me like there are a lot more rebounds going around and teams are playing a lot more gritty and like crashing the glass more. And that might be because there's been a lot of bigger lineups, like, you know, the Cavs right now. Like the Cavs, yeah. Three seven footers. Uh, and I've been watching a lot of Washington where Kuzma, Harrell, and Gafford are like monsters attacking the rim. Mm. And um, I don't know. Do you think Golden State's pretty small, but they they get rebounds pretty well. Yeah, uh, they're averaging over five more rebounds than they were last year. I I I get in trouble for this. I think rebounds don't matter. Is like the running backs don't matter of the NBA. Like it, contextually, it makes sense, but when you take it literally, it doesn't. Like I, I don't know if if I'm as interested in like the value of a rebound currently, just because of how the game is played. But what you mentioned with these lineups. These teams that are zigging while everyone else zags, like 
they're they're yeah. presenting like they're presenting like trouble, right? Like the and I think that the the Cavs had this formula last season. It's like they did. yeah, people don't talk uh, about it. They had a huge roster with Larry Nance, he was playing Drummond, yeah, Drummond, Allen. That was team that team had. That team had the best defensive rating in the league uh, after, or was it before the Nets game? The Colin Sexton game, as yeah, I like to call yeah. it. Probably, is, probably before. I feel like they usually start off season strong and kind of taper off. Yeah, but uh, they they had this really nice defensive formula, and then they Nance gets hurt, uh, Drummond gets unhappy, and it's just Allen and, and and a bunch of negative defenders around them, and they the results aren't as uh, aren't as splendid. And we've seen them, you know, go super super big. And Markinen is nowhere near like he's not a, a positive defender, but he's he's adding you know a, a semblance of presence at the rim. Yeah, he looks better on defense than I ever thought he would. <laughs> Yeah, I and I think some of that is, I think some of that is, um, I think some of that is currently just like how how much Mobley makes up for defensive mistakes. Yeah, and like I'll how many how many how many gaps he's closing, uh, and and that's crazy to say about it about a twenty year old, right? That he's making up for. <laughs> veterans mistakes but he's he's done that exceptionally well and the wizards are showcasing something about cal kuzma that i I don't think ever got talked about enough with the with the with the lakers i was gonna say warriors i don't know why (laughs) uh and that's that he can he's very versatile he can play a lot of positions within your lineup yeah. And you're not really taking much off the table offensively, right? Like, if you're placing Cal Kuzma at the five, you're supercharging your team, right? Or, or or at least your offense. You're giving it a small little boost. You're slanting it towards the offensive side a little. And I don't think you're giving up much on defense, right? Like he's, he's I've actually liked his defense more than his offense so far this year. Yeah, I I think that he's a think that he's a pretty strong man defender. I think that his uh his help rotations are pretty sound. Uh, he's not like he's not like uh, a cornerback in the passing lanes. I don't think he's he's a dis- a defensive disruptor, but I think he's just good enough on ball and he's just strong enough. Like he has a really strong core. He stands his ground. His post defense is it's solid, and he can rebound. So he can play the four for you, right? Really, he's kind of played the five with Gafford being out. I think two games, and Thomas yeah. Bryant's been out the whole season. It's just been like Kyle Kuzma and Davis Bertans at the five when Harold's on the bench, which is interesting. Yeah, so he's he's like, I don't know if it's the and I think the oh the LeBron makes his teammates worst thing is gonna get thrown out. And I don't think it's as simple as, you know, the people of the of the bottle stop uh, type of mindset, which is, a, oh, just let Hooper is hoop. I don't think it's as simple as that. And I don't think it's as diluted or, or you know, 
tracing back towards like LeBron. I don't think either one of those are accurate. I just think that this is a this is a pretty solid situation for him. Like yeah, I feel like I feel like he's finding the perfect situation where he's showing off his complimentary skills, which are really great. Like he made a lot of nice passes today that I didn't even know he was capable of. Very a very touch. solid touch passer. Very yeah. pretty solid mover. Like he's he's really good off ball. The ultimate question is just how how efficient he is on these shots. Like his rookie season and a season after that, he was able to he was able to almost hit twenty per seventy five, like get in that little that little range where he was actually like a volume scorer because he was taking a bunch of shots, but he was hitting them at a he was hitting them at an effective rate, right? Yeah. And I think that I think that if he's you know, if he's hitting three point uh three point attempts at like a thirty percent or thirty seven percent rate, and he's hitting mid range attempts at like a forty four percent rate, then he becomes a very dangerous, you know, tertiary uh, option, and yeah. that's that's ultimately the key for him because he's a really good extra passer, as we mentioned. He's a he's a really good cutter. He can move he can move off of pin downs, it ultimately comes down to how much respect do teams have to give him uh, when he's curling? Like, how much respect do teams have to give him uh, to where he can set, set himself up for a, a give-and-go or he can set himself up for, for, for different counters off-ball to create shot attempts for himself? And he's – what are his percentages currently – not good. <laughs> he's shooting 32% from three. He's shooting 48% from free throw, which has been the most frustrating thing of the season. What is uh, his What is his long mid-range numbers looking like? Yeah, those are a lot better. He's shooting. He doesn't take a lot of them, but he's shooting 43% from there. Mm. And he's finishing... Very well at the rim. That about eighty-eight percent of the shots from there. That's I think that's 40, the key. Yeah, sorry, but that that forty-three percent mark is what's the word I'm looking for? It's hmm. It's I don't want to say that it's like it's making me optimistic per se, but it's. It's intriguing. Yeah. I guess I, I guess that would be the word. Because if he's, if that translates to him being like a thirty-six percent shooter, right? Or oh, I think he, I think he's kind of in a sh- slump on the threes right now. I think he is definitely more of like a thirty-five to thirty-seven percent three-point shooter. In my opinion, I don't know though, because he wasn't even that with you know one of the best playmakers in the entire world. Like he wasn't. A, he didn't get the KCP pump. He didn't magically become a 40% shooter. And I don't know. Like, there's some guys who just, like, they have a nice – they, you know, have confidence on their threes. And they just they just don't ever pass the Mandoza line. Like, they, they're not going to become above league average shooters, percentage-wise at least. 
And Kyle Kuzma could just be one of those guys. And he also could be, you know, a 40% shooter by next year and, and prove me wrong. But I'm, un- yeah, I, I'm unsure. Yeah, it's definitely something to keep track of as the season goes on because he's been pretty inconsistent as a shooter for his whole career. Um, going back to a player that you mentioned earlier that I think we've both been impressed with, what have you seen from Cole Anthony that you've liked so far this season? Uh, a lot. Uh, <laughs> mostly, mostly, uh, and that's that's fine, right? That's something that in a vacuum, you know, you even in the limited film that we have of Cole Anthony, because we don't really have that much of Cole Anthony. We're looking at like less than a less than a thirty game sample size uh the the last two years combining college and and his NBA career so far. Uh there's not much that you could view of Cole Anthony to get a holistic uh view of his of his offensive package, but the thing that's been the most shocking so far is his playmaking. He's like developed some skip passing. He's developed, uh, you know, the ability to hit a laydown pass at a pretty effective rate. He's looking for the role man, whether it's on a, you know, it's on a roll or it's on a pop and he can connect on those little, you know, those little vanilla, um, pop passes that that get you you know wide open wide open mid ranges for your big man. They get you these assists that you know they're not they're they're not anything mind blowing, but they're also not Rondo assists. Like they're creations that are caused because the player has gravity, right? The player is attracting yeah. the defense toward them, and those little plays are are adding value, and those are plays that. I don't think anyone thought that he would be making this early in his NBA career uh, with the context of who he was in college, who he was in high school, and the type of player he was compared to. I mean, this is a this is a, a man who was given multiple Kobe White comparisons coming out. Uh, you know, spark plug scoring, absolutely no playmaking. He's going to shoot a bunch of you know, he's going to shoot a bunch of shots at a bad percentage and not help your offense. That's what Cole Anthony was supposed to be. And he's been the opposite. He's, uh, what, shooting 42, 42% from three this season? Yeah, he's and probably more after five. tonight. Yeah, it's probably going to be higher after tonight. I think the scoring was around uh, 18 per 75. The efficiency is, I believe, plus three. Yeah. And these... Obviously, yeah. small sample size, the smallest of small sample size. But, uh, yeah, he's looked really nice. Yeah, and uh, I like that you touched on his playmaking because I think um, Cole Anthony is a perfect example of of sometimes you don't need to be a really, like a really great passer. You don't need to be making these amazing reads. I think just having gravity from pull-up shooting like he does and he has some bursts to be able to get to the rim, just being 
with that gravity, pairing it with the willingness to look for just simple, easy passes, because he's going to create openings just with the gravity he has of his own scoring game. And so he doesn't really he doesn't really need to do much other than just make basic plays, find players at the opportune times, like you said, when they're rolling or popping. And it's really helped this Magic team, which I actually want to talk more about this Magic team because they have been really interesting to me. Um, what have you thought about Franz Wagner so far? I believe I had Franz ninth on my board, and it took it took a lot of uh, potential merchants to convince me that Jonathan Kaminga was a better prospect than him. I really like Franz. I think he's a really good extra passer. He's a really good uh, defender, especially at, like, bringing help at the nail. He's a really good, um, or at least with his form, it looks like he's going to be a really good spacer in the league. And, like, that, I don't know if he gets uh, that much better than he is currently. But the player that he is currently is is an impact player for sure, right? Like that that overall package makes him, you know, one of the better role players in the entire league right now. You know, a lot of championship level teams would love to have Wagner. Uh, I think that he's an extremely positive player already, and I don't know if. He, he he develops to the point where we're talking about him uh, like a Draymond. I don't think he'll ever get there. But I think that he's already a very good player. And even, and even beyond him, the, the Magic have just collected a bunch of uh, a bunch of a bunch of young players I who love look like who look like they'll be impact players. I don't like I don't know if Cole Anthony's a star, right? Like, but yeah. I do know that he's, I do know that he's a high quality player. I know that he can, I know that he can put up sub all-star level seasons. I don't know if Jalen Suggs will ever be an all-star level player, but he has, you know, the physical and and um, IQ package to be a sub all-star level player. Same with Franz and, you know, they're just building a good roster, like a team that it will be a good roster in five years, as opposed to continuously doing this thing where they're just they're just tanking and tanking and or, or they're just tanking and tanking and looking for a big time piece or or worse, what they actually were doing, which was yeah, let's just go out and get the eighth seed, let's go out and get the let's go out and get the tenth seed, you know, so they have you know the worst possible draft pick. And it bit them in the butt, like, and it's and it's continued to bite them in the butt. But they've been able to capitalize. Also, Markel Fultz. I'm just gonna say his name. <laughs> um, I I definitely feel you on pretty much everything you said there. I've been really interested in this Magic team ever since they traded Vooch. I think they're building something great. There's definitely an abundance of those kind of forward big hybrids like Chuma who I love and he just made his return 
Um, Jonathan Isaac, who's still injured, Wendell, Mo Bamba, Nafranz. They are – they just have – I mean, I think they're going to need to make a consolidation move soon, but they just have so many young, good players. Like you said, I think they will definitely be a good team in the future. Um, Mo Bamba was my pick for most improved, and I'm really loving what I've seen from him so far. Is there anything – have you liked what you've seen from him? Is there anything that stood out to you about him? I think that his his lateral quickness is, is improved a little. Uh, I think that last season and just like his, his entire experience as an NBA player has been to build a body that adequate for, for NBA-level competition and – Part of that is like uh, breaking down and reconstructing uh, who he is as an athlete. And I think some of that zapped a little of the lateral quickness he had at, had at uh, Texas. And that's, that's made him really bad on defense. Like he, he hasn't been good on defense until recently where he's, you know, he's regained a little bit of that, you know, uh, East West movement. West to East movement, whichever way you want to go, and just to add on to that, he's he's a he's a pretty solid presence at the rim, right? He's he's adding in that way. Uh, offensively, I, I I'm not sure if I like his package currently, but he can add on to it, right? He has the the physical makeup to be a really good lob threat. He his form doesn't look broken. Like, uh, what's his free throw percentage? Uh, let me check that. He's shooting. Yeah, his free throw percentages have never been good. The highest he shot was 68% last year. But his threes are going in at a very high level right now, which is a big mm. deal to me. Hmm. I don't know. How many threes are, uh, how many threes is he taking a game? He's taking four a game and hitting them at a 45% rate, which is obviously unsustainable. That's not real. Definitely unsustainable. Yeah, that's not real shooting at all. But even even if he, like, if you're you're rounding out your your offensive package, which is, you know, off-ball big, who can, you know, space vertically and – can catch lobs with, you know, if it's not 45% shooting, which it probably isn't, it's still possibly 7% shooting by yeah, the end of the year. Yeah, I could definitely see him as like a 37, 38% point shooter. Then you're, yeah, then you're, you're adding some offensively. And, and I think he's been much improved defensively. Yeah, and, and I, he's also been pretty fantastic in the paint shooting 74% at the rim and 70% from 3 to 10 feet. So, on, like, pretty pretty solid volume from there. So, I think he's definitely shown a lot more offensive potential than he ever has before. And what I've really liked, and I, I was questioning this before the season, but his two-man game with Wendell Carter Jr. has looked great to me. What do you think about that? 
Who are we talking about specifically? Who's two man game? Bomba, Bomba, and Wendell. Like kind of having those two bigs that are that seem like they might be a bit weird on the court together. But um, oh, they're like they oh, they're together. They're fit. I thought you were. Just, I thought no, you were not, like about, like, not like ball handling. Not like ball handling. Yeah, no, could... this kind of like high low stuff from them. Yeah. Uh. I. Him with Wendell is interesting because he's spacing the floor currently, right? Like he's he's presenting some outside shooting, and. That's cool. What ha- what happens if that falls off? Who knows? Uh, maybe they're maybe they're not the best fit for each other. But both of but Wendell's like even even if even if uh, Bomba shooting goes down, he's still a pretty solid like shooter for the five or, or or for the four. He's a pretty solid shooter for the four. He would be optimized at the five clearly, and Wendell would be you know he would. He's also optimized at the five, but uh, they're they're functionally still working offensively. Just because, yeah, Bomba's been a pretty good spacer, like a a really good spacer, and I think that they're obviously losing something on offense, right? In comparison with just putting, uh, just putting Bomba at the five, or you know sliding out Bomba and, and putting in, you know, a, a sturdier four uh, at the four and, like, have the lineup be, you know, rounded out a little bit better than having two seven-footers in the lineup. But they're gaining something on the defensive end, right? They just held uh, they just held the Timberwolves under, under 100 points. Granted, the Timberwolves shot 27% from three. They put up relatively respectable defensive uh, re- defensive performances also and they protect the rim well like the the 2 and 6 record is whatever like it, it doesn't show that this is a uh it's not a good team at all but it's a very intriguing team it's they're interesting to watch they're fun to watch and that plays a part in it right that they're that they're, they've, they've been able to cheat the system a little, right? By having two pretty solid rim protectors in the lineup at the same time. And one of them happens to be somebody that can really shoot the ball. So you're not, you're not like, you're not really losing as much on offense, at least, you know, eight games through the season. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm a little higher on their fit than you, just because... I think both of them can operate both near the basket and more on the perimeter because even though Wendell is not a very good shooter, he his passing, which has always kind of shown flashes but never really materialized into anything consistent, he's hitting a lot more of those nice passes that you don't see from a lot of bigs. So I think when like they're playing off a guard, and the defense is kind of scrambled. I've liked Wendell's ability to find Bomba under the basket. And like you said, Bomba's facing the floor there too. But I I do think eventually one of them will go to the bench for either Jonathan Isaac or Chumo Kiki to come into the starting lineup. But I don't know. Maybe I'm irrationally high on it. But I actually 
surprisingly like their fit offensively a lot more than I thought I would. If you and had I, to, if you had to, if you were the Magic, who would you pick? I would pick Bamba. But I've been high on Bamba since the draft cycle. I never gave up on him. I always felt like, like I like Coach Clifford, but his unwillingness to play Mo always really bothered me. I feel like there's a lot there with Mo Bamba, and I think he can definitely be at least a sub-all-star type player soon. Yeah. I mean, he has to, at some point, become worthy of the song. Like, I was holding <laughs> it off. It, I feel like it has to be said. Like, at, at some point, Mo Bamba has to, you know, he has to be balling, bro. Like, that's, that's just the reality of it. But, yeah, he's a, he's a pretty solid player. I, I was watching... I'm, I was watching Magic, a Magic game with my brother in the living room, and, and we were talking about Mo Bamba, and my sister's in the room. She's like, Mo Bamba? Like, like the song Mo Bamba? <laughs> and I had to explain to her that he's like an actual guy, and she was so shocked. So he definitely needs to, to live up to the hype that the song has made for him. So before we go... Uh, what do you need to plug? Anywhere the listeners can find you? Uh, number one at uh, on Twitter at a whole lot of nerds. Uh, uh, on WordPress at nerdsproductions.wordpress.com. On who uh, as Eli Blue, my name, and on Patreon at Deluxe L three for uh, AIPM, which is a box score plus minus combinations that that uh I have available from nineteen ninety seven to two thousand twenty one uh and multiple other adjusted plus minus metrics and calculators for some of the non public stats that Ben Taylor used to provide. And that would that would complete the the roundabout of my of my little uh my little iceberg. The, the 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 nerd iceberg, <laughs> nerd iceberg. <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay and uh you can you guys can find me at truth teller nba on twitter and at nba.truthteller on instagram thanks for listening and thanks for coming on you i was nice to have you okay there are technical difficulties so i don't know if you can hear them right now but yeah that's gonna end this one thanks for listening guys